Welcome to Jody Silver Linings. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and I'm here to offer some inspiration and ideas for self-care for fellow creatives. That can include all sorts of things, but generally I like to discuss marketing and branding issues, getting out of your own way, and self-improvement from my geeky voice actor's perspective. Why Silver Linings? Well, there's plenty of bad in the world, but I prefer to focus on the good. So today's good is Joe Nidalee. Joe is a freelance artist and graphic designer with a lifelong passion for Dungeons & Dragons, which I can sympathize with, (laughs) and similar tabletop role-playing games. When he's not working away in his home studio, he's running homebrew D&D campaigns, creating costumes, biking, hiking, or venturing solo into Algonquin Park's backcountry to periodically get away from it all. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Joe. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So um, to set the scene and just get a little bit of background, can you tell me how you were first encouraged to do art? When did you start? I have been drawing since I was a little kid. And I think my family and friends, once they saw the talent emerging, just they're the ones that said, keep going with that. And I took a lot of, uh, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. So did you ever take any classes or anything like that? Or it's all sort of naturally developed over your practicing? A bit of both. When I was very young, um, my mom put me into Saturday morning art classes. Oh, great. And those were very instructive. And then beyond that, I attended a high school with a specialized art program that was teaching college-level art courses to the students. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. And the rest is self-taught. <laughs> That's great. So what made you decide to want to make a career out of it? Well, initially I didn't. Um, that's kind of part of my story. I was on the verge of getting into a career and for a variety of reasons, I detoured into a technology career instead. Ah, okay. And in that process, I lost that core part of my identity, which is me as the artist. And uh, mm-hmm. I spent some time in there, but I to make a long story short, I spent the last decade transitioning back uh, and reclaiming that part of myself. And so that has been part of my journey. And it's partly wanting to make a career out of it. It's partly wanting to reclaim that part of myself and do something meaningful with my time. Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. So you were in a nine to five and you decided to transition out of that again. Exactly. Okay. So how did you make the transition? I mean, I know that's a lot of people's questions. (laughs) Um, Partly luck, partly intent. Um, Mm -hmm. Our situation at the time when I decided to leave um, working for, you know, big companies, uh, we were in a financial position for me to do that Mm -hmm. uh, and basically start from zero again and work my way back up. Um, And so that was, I guess, the luck part. And then the intent part was just me deciding I have to do this Mm -hmm. uh, for myself. Yeah, that's important, definitely. So was there ever a time in your life when you were discouraged from being creative? And if so, how did you get past that part? I mean, I guess the technology job is kind of part of that. (laughs) Well, yeah, if I can be more candid about it, I suppose it was during the 90s when I was deciding what post-secondary education to pursue. And the government of the day was very much down on the arts and very much up on business and science. And essentially was telling people like me that you're wasting your time unless you pursue Mm. something more, um, you know, substantial Mm -hmm. with more, I suppose, proven, predictable earning potential. And I took that to heart. Um, That wasn't the only reason, but that was a main reason. And I kind of lost my way there. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's what happened. Okay. Well, yeah, that's not exactly great. 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, that the government could have that much effect. <laughs> Not a good thing. Well, it trickles down, right, into society yeah. and you start hearing that from other people. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it can it can get to you unless you have a very forceful will. And I, I didn't have that at the time. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I guess it's confidence, too. I mean, you have to be doing what you're doing for a little while before you really get that confidence. You have to believe in yourself, and that's mm-hmm. something I've also struggled with. So along that line, um, you know, we all struggle with self-doubt. How did you get over that? It was a slow process. Um, and uh, for me, uh, you know, it many bumps in the road, but... I just kept doing it. So for me, as I said, when I had to reclaim that part of myself, mm-hmm. I had to, uh, you know, get drawing again, find that part of myself again. And it didn't come, it came back, mm-hmm. but I was rusty. Yeah. And I hadn't developed my skills to a very high degree before I decided to pursue an alternate career. So I just had to keep working at it and practicing and learning some new techniques and the big struggle for me was uh, I'm a I'm, my wife would say I'm a perfectionist, uh, and <laughs> I think that's true where my art is concerned. Mm-hmm. I tend to let other things slide, but for myself, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So if I wasn't getting it right on the first pass, I was getting frustrated and telling myself, "Well, look, you just don't have it anymore. You've lost it, and you're mm-hmm. a fraud now, mm-hmm. and you should just go back to what you were doing." And that was the demon inside my head telling me that all the time. The only way I got through that was to just try and ignore that voice and keep going. And eventually I was able to uh, bring my skills up and produce results that pleased me. It was never good enough for me that other people liked what I was doing. If mm-hmm. it didn't please me, it wasn't gonna it wasn't good enough. Yeah, I guess we talked a little about imposter syndrome too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I uh I still cope with that. I think most artists do. Oh, totally. I think most creators do, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> so in order to overcome the imposter syndrome, you just kept doing what you were doing? Like, is there something you told yourself over and over again to overcome it? You know, what did you do? <laughs> um, there's a few things that I've, I suppose, realized. Uh, when that crops up, I have finally learned that for one thing, I am my own worst critic. Mm-hmm. So I might be working on something either for myself or a paid job and just hating what's happening. And I will get very frustrated and that voice will say, see, you're a fraud. This isn't working. <laughs> and but I'll, I've learned to push through that and just get something done, mm-hmm. even if it's not final. And sometimes I just need to step away from it for even a day or more. Mm-hmm. And when I come back to it with fresh eyes. More often than not, I'm actually pleased with what I see. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the mood that descends upon you in the moment really distorts your vision of everything. At least for me, that's true. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. So that's one thing. I guess the other thing is reminding myself what other people say. You know, like I have my work out online on a variety of platforms and I get... um I think entirely positive comments. Like if I'm honest with myself, when I look back, there might have been one negative comment that stands out. Oh, and isn't that the one we focus on? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> Always. <laughs> so part of getting over that is to remember and go back and look at those comments and see what people said and how much they mm-hmm. liked it. And, and there's a little bit of external validation from that, which is important. And then if you get into uh, you know a professional capacity, just acknowledging that 
well, someone wants to pay you to do this, so mm -hmm. clearly it's valuable to them. So maybe you could start to see some value in it for you. Yeah. And I, I guess those are the things I would, I would say. Very, very good advice. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to lighten it up just a tiny bit here. I got to ask you, which came first, D&D &D or making costumes? <laughs> oh, D&D. &D. Costumes came much later in life. Okay, okay. So what drew you to D&D? &D? Well, I... That's a hard thing to answer. I can tell you my first experience with it. Mm -hmm. It was, I was probably eight, maybe. Okay. And there was some older kid on my street who was playing with his friends who were older than me. And I don't even remember why. But me and a bunch of my aged friends were invited into his house to just jump in sort of on the fly. And I'd, I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know How what cool it was. How cool is that? It was cool. And basically, all I did was pick up a, a, a pre-made character, I think. And I was told to roll a die, and that means you've done this or try that. And I rolled the die. I think I was trying to punch something. Mm -hmm. And the die came up, you know, low. And they said, oh, you, I forget what the result was. And that was it. It was like 10 minutes. And then for some reason, we had to leave. And from that tiny exposure, I was hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I spent the next 10 years trying to figure out a way, how do I play that game with people? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I was right in there. Well, yeah. And I guess it's really creative, too, because, I mean, you're writing your own stories now. You were doing uh, a game based on your graphic novel. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it was as, pretty awesome. As you get old, as I got older, it, it, that, it became a creative inspiration. It was a mm -hmm. way to play. It was like a sandbox to play in. Um, and in particular... Well, like the, the game you just mentioned, yeah, that was a way for me to help build a world that would be the backdrop to a graphic novel that I am I'm still working on and hope mm -hmm. to complete someday. But yeah. yeah, the creative inspiration is a huge factor for sure for me. Yeah, it's really good for collaborative storytelling as well. Absolutely. Yes. So I find it's creative for everyone. You know, I mean, the, the GM certainly writes the plot overall. But yeah, I think everyone who participates is sort of writing a, a co-written story. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I was thinking about, you know, why do I like not just playing, but why dungeon mastering specifically? Because mm -hmm. I really do enjoy that. And I was I was giving that some thought and I was realizing, you know, like everybody else, I like stories. Mm -hmm. um, stories, you know, for us human beings, that pretty well defines who we are, our experiences. So we're automatically drawn to hearing a story. And um I think for me, uh, so a writer is going to do everything. They're going to set up the situation. They're going to create the inciting incident. They're going to describe the hero and, and the challenge he or she faces and so on and so forth until mm -hmm. the resolution is uh, met. Well, the dungeon master does the first part of that. Um, the dungeon master sets up the, the problem, uh, the inciting incident, whatever you want to call it, the, quote, call to adventure, end quote. And then the players pick it up and tell me the rest of that story. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think I most get out of Dungeon Mastering. I love to basically set up this uh, adventure for you. And of course, I have an idea of how it might be resolved. And I have the pieces in place that you may or may not stumble upon. Mm -hmm. But how you do that and the way in which you put them together and the manner by which you arrive at the conclusion, I have no idea. And I find it, <laughs> I find it hugely entertaining to watch uh, my players uh, do that. So we're both participating in the story. It's hugely entertaining for us to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I know that you also have uh, meetups going where you encourage first-time players to come out and try a game. So what got you started with that, and why did you decide to do it? Well, I... 
really love this game as i think i've established now and <laughs> yeah. i want more people to play it um there's a lot of uh bonuses to playing this game it's not just fun of course that's the primary reason to play it mm -hmm. but there's a lot of uh, fringe benefits too like uh, it really helps improve socialization for example mm -hmm. uh, as we mentioned it can really inspire creative thinking um which is always good i think and so i want more people to play this game for that reason and i think most people that get into it if they get into it with with the right people they have a great time and mm -hmm. i think they even have a better time than they ever thought so um the meetup i run is uh i run with a, a mutual friend of ours uh and it is designed to be what i call newbie friendly yeah. we come at it from a complete newbie perspective so that what i mean is you don't need to know anything when you show up we're going to show you how to do everything mm -hmm. and the part of our goal for that is not just to give people a chance to play but also to inspire them to start running their own games mm -hmm. and so that's my mission <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mission <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all um okay so i'm going to ask you about work-life balance because i know that you have a very busy family life and of course you know your your job you know <laughs> So how do you maintain a, a balance with that? I'm, I'm assuming that there are creative pursuits that you do to sort of keep your mind creative and, and, you know, feed your soul and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you have other demands on your time, too. So <laughs> what's the, the balance there? Well, it's uh, in some ways easier and in some ways more complicated since I started working for myself. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, when I worked for other companies, uh, my time was pretty well dictated to me. Mm -hmm. um, now that I'm on my own, obviously, I need to hustle for myself. Mm -hmm. And that is a constant pressure. Um, I guess for me, you know, I just try and mix it up and, you know, devote the time I need to do to develop the business and seek work uh that will pay bills at the same time i and this is the harder part for me uh motivate myself to work on independent things that mm -hmm. will further my skills or allow me to create something new to sell um and i guess I'm, maybe the glue holding all that together and then this is just for me mm -hmm. is um fitness and exercise uh, i find that is sort of i really need to do that for a lot of reasons not just to sort of balance things out but also for my mood, mm -hmm. I'll be candid and say that I have, you know, uh, struggled with anxiety and depression pretty well my entire life. Mm -hmm. And exercise and fitness is, has been probably one of the most um, effective ways of coping with that. So mm -hmm. that is my primary motivation for doing that. But yeah, I was going to ask you how you could be kinder to yourself, but it sounds like you've found your way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty big one. Um, yeah. It's amazing how how that can improve your mood, um, you know, even in the face of real world external mm -hmm. things. Sure. But even just in the day to day, you know, when I'm struggling with, uh, well, whether it's imposter syndrome or fears about, you know, my financial situation or mm -hmm. whatever, it's like you can get out there and in the warm weather anyway on my bike or whatever <laughs> and get the heart rate going and you just kind of escape from that and then it kind of rejuvenates you. And so I'm not sure if that's really a complete answer to your question, but uh, I guess it's, uh, it's an answer. Well, it's your answer. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone has a different answer to that question, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other things that you do besides, you know, bike riding, going to Algonquin Park, if I could say that properly? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Algonquin Park. Yeah. <laughs> For clearing your mind, I guess. Um. You, you know what? I guess just getting away from 
Well, I work primarily on a computer. My art, I do digital art. So mm-hmm. uh, all my stuff's connected to a computer. Uh, getting away from the computer is usually a really good thing. In fact, yeah. I think most of my best ideas come up when I'm not trying to think of them at the computer. Um, <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. I, I play video games for mm-hmm. some, you know, mindless fun. I think it's okay to shut the brain off. Sure. Which are your favorites right now? I got to ask. <laughs> right now, it's Fallout 4. Oh, okay. Still, I've been playing that for, well, a long time. Um, <laughs> okay. Besides that, it goes between that and uh, the Mirror's Edge series. There's two video games called Mirror's Edge. Mm-hmm. The second one is the one I play more, and I just find that one is not only fun and, and a fun escape, but I just love the art design and direction of that game. Oh, yeah. The gameplay, the mm-hmm. costume design, like everything about it is just a treasure, and it's mm-hmm. so underrated. Well, I, I guess you'd pay a lot of attention to the artwork. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. Um yeah, it, it, I, I look at that stuff. I think, yeah, I guess uh, I guess artists would pay more attention to that, whether they realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's part of your makeup. Yeah, exactly, I guess. And uh, aside from that, you know, I'll get out to the movies once in a while or watch a, a really good TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just wanted to ask you, I guess, uh, last but not least, what you're working on now and where people can find out more about it. Um, there's a whole bunch of things going on. I guess the biggest thing at the moment is uh, I uh, have a Kickstarter going to fund a new series of uh, gaming miniatures for Dungeons and Dragons. And there mm-hmm. will be information about that on my personal website, joe.nitaly.ca. It's probably the one-stop shop to find out everything else about me you want. Mm-hmm. From my artwork to my other uh, websites, etc. That's probably the biggest thing. And just so that people know, the spelling of your last name is N-I-T-T-O-L-Y, right? That's right. Okay. (laughs) I just want to make sure people know that because, you know, I always put two L's and one T, you know. (laughs) You wouldn't be the first and you won't be the last. No, I'm sure not. (laughs) So there's lots on your website. Um, There's more, though, isn't there? You have um, uh, the Gaming Geek shop on Etsy, right? That's right. Yeah, that's what I meant when you can find that. But yes, I have my own e-store, GamingGeeks.ca. That's where I um, sell the gaming accessories that um, I design and produce myself, as well mm-hmm. as some brand, brand name items. And yeah. I also have um, some of those items on an Etsy shop as well, which is GamingGeekShop.Etsy.com. Wonderful. And Twitter and Instagram and all of that stuff. I'm assuming that can all be found off of your own personal website as well. That's right. You'll find that there on uh, Twitter. The My handle is Pacifilo, P-A-S-I-P-H-I-L-O. And before anyone asks, what does that mean? That is a character from an old Elizabethan drama called Supposes. And he is basically a charlatan character. And that is not supposed to be um, any indication of who I am. I just thought it was a fun <laughs> name. <laughs> it is a fun name, definitely. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for talking with me today, Joe. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening and keep looking for those silver linings. Remember to be kind to yourself. Until next time.